For almost 40 years, Professor Jay Duckworth has fashioned realistic props for American stage and screen productions, from fake stakes to a full-size guillotine. The props master and teacher works in off-Broadway theatre, independent films, TV and music videos, with the hit musical Hamilton being one of his biggest challenges. He says props are often the last thing to be thought about, but they are often as important to the storytelling as costumes and lighting. He sent us heaps of photos of his work that you can see in a gallery on our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash Stanley Ramone. Jay says props, full name properties, have a long history. I could prop every single Shakespeare play with 42 props. Some of them are used only once, some are used a lot. I don't know if you saw my logo, it's the uh, tarot card. That has the five basic Shakespeare props in it, which is candle, money, ring, letter, knife, and furniture. With those items, you can do basically every every show. I think props aid into the the actor themselves because there is magic in the extension of the self, and that's why witches have wands. Something that a that an actor has or holds really can help inform an entire side of a human being. Like Sherlock Holmes, when Sherlock Holmes would pick up something and be able to tell so much about a uh, person just from their like walking stick. The sense I get is that it's partly for the audience, screen or stage, but really what you're concerned about is that the actor believes in the prop because they, yeah. they're the one who see it in detail. Yeah, absolutely. And for them to put them in the place where they feel that everything is okay they feel safe it's our job to create a a safe place for them and by having those details you are able to keep them because they're naked out on stage you know, uh, you know whether they have clothes or not that is that they are exposing themselves and what we have to do is give them the best tools that we can in order for them to perform uh, the ritual of uh, theatre. And there's a lot of trust in that because it's not only the look perhaps and the feel of the prop, but if it's something that has an action, you've got to trust that it's going to, it's going to work, do its job on oh, yeah. stage. The show Hamilton... We were trying to do the burn letter. There's this uh, letter that gets burned by Hamilton's wife. And we had this LED thing inside of it and, you know, inside of a bucket and uh, like a coal scuttle. And we were going to let the LED, you know, light by remote. And it was just looking so fake. And the stage manager said, why don't you just burn it? (laughs) And it was like, yeah, yeah. That's, you're absolutely right. Go to the simplest thing. And then we found, uh, we took uh, weights of papers and sizes of papers to where we could get a paper to burn for exactly two minutes, nine seconds. And no longer because it has to go into a blackout. So once we figured that out, it goes to the most simple things. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You have to be able to exactly do the same thing every night for as long as the show runs. Perishables seem to, we're talking before about robustness and longevity, but perishables Uh, are an aspect of props that you also 
work on. Can you talk us through the range of perishables and, and maybe some of the more interesting challenges you've had? Perishables falls under the category of something that is either going to be destroyed, eaten, or uh, not used but one time. So perishables fall under drinks, like uh, if it's beer or whiskey or wine or notebooks, uh, notes that have to get written, uh, newspapers. When we did Fun Home, the musical Fun Home, we had to switch out the newspaper in Ring of Keys at least every other night or every two nights so it looked new. Once a newspaper is open more than a couple times, it becomes soft and, you know, it looks used. And one of the agreements when the audience comes in is if you do the trick well, we will believe you. So we have to make sure that we present this illusion really well. Like for whiskey, you know, we'll have to find something that is good for the actor, but also looks real because for food and whiskey or anything consumable, you have got to adjust if someone is kosher, if someone has, uh, that can't have sugar, if someone can't have caffeine. So you have to adjust those things and make a budget, making a budget for the regular things, but making a budget to keep in your mind that you're going to lose money every night from something that just gets destroyed. I know you've told the story a million times, but it's such a crack up. John Lithgow, who we love over here, oh, uh, and, and his edible st- and his um, fake steak. It's a great story. I love him. He's so incredible. Uh, he wanted to eat a steak, and uh, it was in Shakespeare in the Park, and it's very hot. It was the second part of the season. Uh, so it was in August, which is your uh, cold months, but for us, it's absolutely hot. And we couldn't put meat out there. We couldn't put tofu out there. I was trying to think of what we could make that he could eat that could go down quickly, that he wouldn't have to worry about chewing or wouldn't go bad out on stage. And my assistant on the show came in with a watermelon that her parents had from the weekend. And we cut it up at the end of lunch. And I looked at that. And I said, would you please hand me icing tin? And I watered down the icing tin and I put it over the outside of the steak and I cut through it. And I'm like, I think we just found our steak. And we videotaped it. And then we ran the thing up to uh, the uh, uh, rehearsal hall for them to look at. And the biggest compliment that I ever got in my entire career was when John Lithgow cut into that steak and he was like, oh my God, He said, I hope my performance is as good as this steak. You could have knocked me over with a feather. I saw a video of him and he really did appreciate it. And I think this is one of the frustrations you've had over the years that um, those working in props often aren't appreciated. I think you made the point that often the last person at the last minute to be brought into a production is props and by then the budget's pretty much gone. And that is a sad fact. I mean, props are an essential part of most productions, and yet they can go unappreciated. Well, that's also the the problem with what we do is, as a prop person, we have to make sure that we are invisible. If you see my work, I have failed. So it's hard for people to know what props are because we have to be seamless. All of these details, going back to what you were saying about perishables and 
uh, making sure the thing happens exactly right every night. You have you have to have so many different hats in order to like if you're a if you're a prop person, you have to be able to know how to weld, how to do carpentry, how to sew, how to make blood bags, how to cook. Uh, you're also going to have to know how to do dyes. You're going to have to understand engineering. You'll have to uh, know a little bit about wiring. If you have to make a lamp, you're going to have to do carpentry. You're going to have to have all these different skills in order to work as a collaborator with all your different departments so that you can be as seamless as possible. But there's also the rewards of seeing people being just having their breath taken away by seeing something that works so perfectly. The gasp, the intake of breath, right? Yeah, there was a, I do a, a talk called 40 Yards of Blood. And what that is, is it's a technique that was taught to me where an actor gets shot on stage and falls on stage and they fall next to a hole. And that hole goes to a tube into a five gallon bucket with a pond pump and it's to fill the stage with an, an unnatural amount of blood quickly so it doesn't look like it's something that happens out on a small pouch on that person but it's it's to make people realize that this person their life is leaving them and for to not see that trick you know not to see how that happens and not see what's on that person and to have that happen, I love that. It really excites me. You mentioned guns, and of course, that the handling of guns has been in the in the news recently for Alec Baldwin. I'll put that to one side because it's under investigation. But you do sometimes have dangerous props. Have you ever used real guns? I think you've actually built a guillotine at one stage. <laughs> that was a working yeah, I guillotine. I did build a, a thirteen foot guillotine. Um, I have cast guns before where they are just solid and uh, I worked with guns there was a Troilus and Cressida that we did that was AR-15s a lot of automatic weapons and a lot of blanks and let me put it to you like this if I won't let an actor sign a check on stage that doesn't have the character's name and address on the check I you're making them safe. I would definitely check anything with a firearm uh, because I want to make sure that they're absolutely safe. And so it's very important that when you walk through, you teach these actors protocols with firearms. And that whole thing was such a tragedy. It shocked the entire community. I mean, it's still under investigation, so we've got to be careful, but it just feels like some basic rules possibly weren't um, adhered to. Because as you say, in your industry, you take safety so seriously. Yeah, I mean, if you if we're not going to feed someone, you know, sugar when they're diabetic, why would we, why would someone do this? There are certain protocols in place. I will say this as a general thing. If you get what you pay for, and if you are trying to get something cheaper, quicker, you are not going to get the quality. 
in that same vein, no one should pay with their life on anything, period. Has the industry changed? You've been there kind of across four decades, Jay. Has the industry changed a lot? Because a lot of what you're talking about is using materials that have been around for a long time. Maybe 3D printing is making a difference. I don't know. But it feels like at its heart what you do is still very much the same as, as your forebears in the industry. Yeah, I, I could do. I could. I could be doing the same job anywhere in the world, any pretty much any time throughout history from Greece on forward. But yeah, it, it's it's important that you have a foot in the old world and a foot in the new world. And I've really embraced like three D printing and uh, laser cutting. But the thing about it is, we shouldn't fear those things because anything that enhances us is going to make us better. We are always going to need someone who can ZBrush or AutoCAD and design those 3D props. You know, there always will be an artist, you know, there will always be an artist. And you can tell a a computer-aided drawing versus a hand-drawn because there is a soul there. There is a life in that hand-drawn piece. But yeah, I, 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 I really embrace the new technology because uh, we have to find the balance. Let me take you back to the start of the process, Jay, if I may. So you, you get a script. What's the process that you go through when you're reading that script for the first or second time to figure out the different things that you need to consider, not just the objects, but perhaps even the time of year or the, or the style of setting? Yeah, that's that's incredibly great question because when I start with a script, I have a yellow highlighter, a red highlighter, and a blue highlighter. And with a yellow highlighter, I highlight all of just the regular props. If a coin's mentioned or a phone's mentioned or they sit at a table, so all of those things get highlighted in yellow. Now, if they sit at the table and they eat a meal, that's going to get red because I will go through my script and see those as perishables or consumables. With the blue highlighter, I will mark off anything that is environmental. If it's a Wednesday, if it's spring, if it's morning, if it's night, you know, you're going to dress an apartment differently if it's right around Christmas time. And that person, like, let's say, is, you know, from a big Catholic family and they, you know, it's right before Christmas, you know, you have an idea of what this place is going to look like. Those are environmental things that you have to look for, even though it's not mentioned in the script, you have to use your environmental things to dress your set. So that's what all dressing is. Once you make that list out, you see what are personal props, uh, what are environmental props, and what your perishables are, because the next thing you have to do is a budget, because notoriously props has no money. So... Once you go through that list, you try to find out what's going to cost you the most, what you can pull from what you have on hand. And then if there's any specialty things, like if there's someone smoking or if there is fire, because if there's a candle in the show, we have to have an inspection and a fire certificate from the fire chief. So they have to come in and do a walkthrough of the theater. They have to see that we have sand and fire extinguishers on each side of the stage. Reading more than what's on the page is just comes with experience. And uh, 
like even with that like let's say you're doing a show and people are talking at dinner you're gonna have to get that dinner into them or something to eat while they're doing the rehearsal because they're going to realize they're going to get to tech and you're going to waste time while these people try to adjust to eat uh while you're while you're trying to tech because you only have a limited amount of hours to go through the technical cues in the show so you want to make sure you give people as much in advance as possible does that make sense yeah it does in fact i was just thinking i've always felt sorry for actors who have to eat during a play i mean sometimes they're cooking and eating during the play uh, because technically that actually adds degrees of difficulty to a performance doesn't it Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, just adding a sword, giving someone a sword. People lived with swords for so long. They knew how to sit. They knew how to stand. And if you give someone a sword just at tech, you don't give them through the rehearsal process, it's going to be like hanging an arm off them. You know? oh, no. So it becomes very difficult, you know, to navigate and you have to choose how you sit. But the but that also falls under the different categories of under you know living in the world of the play, understanding the three circles of consciousness out from who this person is and the environment that they live in. I know you have a Moleskin journal that you take around with you, and I imagine that I you do. must have a few pages dedicated to techniques. I was going to say tricks of the of the trade, uh, but I imagine that aging new objects to look old for period pieces, and you've done lots of them. You must have pages and pages of ideas on how to do that. Now, I've spoken to people who've used tea, for example. That seems to be something considered useful for um, staining paper and maybe fabrics. But I don't know. What are some mm-hmm. of the tricks that you use? Well, one of the things I will tell you that even directors, even fame, like there's some really smart directors and really smart designers out there. When we do period pieces, they're like, those crates should be really messed up or that, that paper needs to be more yellow. And it's like, you have to understand. And I, and I have to bite my tongue. It's like, you have to understand that this was new at this time. The paper would not be degraded. The, the iron and the ink would change. But making things look like they're old is a really great challenge. The main thing I would say is don't use black. Whenever you people try to make something look old, they'll try to splatter it with some black or, or something to darken it. If you use colors that reflect light, like browns or purples or greens, very softly with a sponge, it gives something more of a dimension. If you look at something and think about the natural wear and tear, where has this been picked up from? Could somebody have kicked it? Would it get hit by you know, something passing by it, you know, would you sand that down in those areas where the corners be wore down? The main thing I, I, I try to do is add more color to things in order to add depth at age as well as take it away. Our nations are at different stages of the COVID pandemic. And I know oh, that... I'm so embarrassed. I am so embarrassed. I am so sorry. Well, don't be, don't be embarrassed. I mean, your country's paid a high price for it. But I wondered, I mean, our, our um, live performance industry is, is going through really tough times at the moment. What's happening with you over there at the moment? Have you got shows that you're working on? Is there, is there um, confidence in the industry? Are audiences coming back to, to Broadway, for example? 
they're coming back, but we're also having to shut them back down. We're having to shut shows back down because we're having resurgence and we are having so many people get sick. Professor Jay Duckworth, Props Master Extraordinaire,